Hey guys, welcome to the 27th episode of the Indian Market Story. One of the major investment themes that has driven India's stock market is India's consumption. And one of the first major big purchases that a household makes is for a house. The first major big purchase for a business is an office. And that's why real estate is central to this economy's growth. And that's why we're here today to talk to Mr. Deepan Mehta once again about real estate stocks and whether you should be investing in them. Thank you, Arun, for having me on this show. And uh, I've been a real estate watcher for 25, 30 years. And some very interesting trends are taking place in the real estate sector, which, of course, we'll discuss in this podcast. And what you I had 5, 10 years ago on real estate has now completely changed from negative avoid to uh, the sector, which is now, I think, should take priority in investors' portfolio decisions. So what's what's led to that shift? What's going on in real estate and why have you changed your mind? I need to take you back a few years ago, maybe two, three decades ago. So the way real estate companies used to operate in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, let's say pre-RERA Act, was that they would acquire land parcels and then they would launch a project, hope to get some investors to fund the project by giving them allotment on flats. Then the project sometimes got executed on time, got delayed. And then actual buyers came in to buy these flats or so. And that way they would repay the financiers. And there was a lot of, I would say, churn in the project which was taking place. A lot of the real estate players at that point of time, they were heavily leveraged. Mm-hmm. Because this was not an industry where organized large corporates were acting at that point of time or operating. Completely different. 15, 20 years ago. And that's the reason why so few listed stocks of that era, they destroyed a lot of wealth. But now things have completely changed. The entire sector has got corporatized. Great systems have come in. And good regulation has led to, I would say, a great wealth creating opportunity. That's really, really interesting. So let's do, what real estate stocks would you now consider that have properly corporatized, managed their debt burden? And what ones are yet to make that journey? All the large ones, all the large ones, the top 10 real estate companies, they have improved their communication forum. They've improved their corporate governance standards. They've improved, most importantly, their capital allocation policy. Right. They're just not pursuing buying land bank and just launching a project Now they are thinking through everything. Mm -hmm. They are launching a project only when they feel that they can sell it. Mm -hmm. The focus has shifted of the sector and the companies from just land bank and launching projects to sales. Mm -hmm. And that's coming through in the communication. The first thing that a CEO talks about is how many square feet has he been able to sell. And I love this. From an investor's perspective, we love companies which are focusing on great capital allocation and good capital utilization. And the entire mantra in the real estate sector has shifted from just not just creating buildings, but what return are you able to get? How much are you able to sell? Right. So for a novice investor, how would one look at a real estate stock? What what is the best way to value it? Now, give you some context into where this is coming from. So today we're going to be talking about a number of real estate stocks, DLF, Godrej, Macrotech, Shobha, uh, Oberoi, Prestige, and, you know, maybe a couple of others. And they're all over the place in terms of their numbers. You know, 
There's companies that are growing rapidly. There's companies that are not growing. They're valued. Some companies are valued very richly. Some companies are very cheap. And, you know, we'll go into all of them. But how should one look at a, a real estate stock? See, I think that real estate is a very um, geographically localized business. Like DLF, very strong in the north. Macrotech operates largely in West India, just two cities, Pune, Mumbai. Oberoi also just Mumbai. Then there's Prestige, Shoba, which is Bangalore and a few other southern cities. And that's the one of the characteristics of the real estate uh, industries that companies kind of, you know, are in certain pockets and they tend to focus on it and they want to grow in those pockets only. The reason for that is that they understand the market better and more importantly, they understand the regulatory requirement. Because you have to understand that real estate is very heavily regulated. You require permissions from local authorities, from central authorities, from so many agencies in order to construct a building. And how you manage those permissions is a very important facet of running this business. So I would say that from an investor's perspective, go for companies which are operating in high growth areas. Like high growth, I mean, like we know Southern India, Bangalore, Chennai, Hyderabad, a high growth, why? Because of real estate, uh, because of software. But if software industry is slowing down, then you can expect those markets to get under stress. Mumbai grows on Bollywood, it grows on financial services. Mumbai just grows. Just grows. Mumbai yeah. just grows. <laughs> yes. Mumbai just grows. That's right. So, you know, if you feel that those sectors, industries are going to do well, then you need to focus on Mumbai-based real estate companies. Delhi is all about, again, a little bit of software, but also many industries in and around Delhi, which drive the real estate growth in Delhi and the NCR region per se. So I would say that from an investor's perspective, Mumbai real estate companies, Delhi-based real estate companies, better at this point than the southern ones because I expect that there could be problems over there. Okay. So I want to talk about DLF for a second. And, you know, I, we'll try and put some numbers up on screen so people understand exactly why it's such a mixed bag. Um, but I'll highlight, you know, three key numbers that to me, at least to help me try and understand what the hell happened with DLF. So one thing that sticks out to me, over the last five years, they've reduced their debt by 15% compounded every year. That's one. The second thing is, over the last five years, their revenue has fallen by 7% compounded. And over the last 16 years, DLF's share price has barely moved. It's currently at 560. 16 years ago, it was at 612. So a giant wealth destroyer. What is the story behind DLF? We could have a whole podcast on DLF because really it's a classic story uh, with so many twists and turns. But if I were to just summarize it for you, uh, DLF uh, created its name because they discovered Gurugram, Gurgaon. It was a very, uh, I would say, forward-thinking strategy on their part that they would acquire a huge land bank just outside of Delhi and they would start constructing over there and they would create a new city over there, attract MNCs to set up their offices over there. So once the MNCs and the software companies came over there, and by the way, Gurugram and Indian IT industry started around the same year, 19, late 1990s. So more and more companies would come to Gurgaon 
that required more and more flats to be constructed for their employees. That the once the people started to stay in those flats, then you needed malls, theaters. So the entire city of Gurgaon, which was outskirts of Delhi, got built by DLF. That was their name to fame. But they overleveraged themselves, they overextended themselves, and they overtraded, which is why they got into a huge problem in 2012 to 2017 onwards. Their debt reached almost 30,000 crores, and their interest payments were 3,000 crores or thereabout. Then at some point, it was just getting unmanageable. And there were always fears that that debt stress would take the company down. So they did something which was very, very innovative and something which was very much required. So they split the company and they had the rental assets, which was the office space and the retail malls that they put into another company and they got government of Singapore, GIC, to invest in that company. Mm-hmm. So the basic objective of that company was to own these rental assets and uh, they transferred a lot of debt of the consolidated entity to this particular vehicle and then got foreign equity over there and they made DLF the present listed company the holding company reduce the debt significantly over there point of one also right from 1819 onwards the real estate markets started to pick up and from 2020 onwards, post the pandemic, the real estate cycle has really bloomed. And that's where DLF, which was sitting on a huge land bank and so many projects under construction, immediately they were able to realize higher values for the same project. So it's a classic company, which went to fame because they built Gurgaon, then went all the way down because they were over leveraged. Then the cycle turned, they got external liquidity, and now I would say they are a growth company. Oh, wow, that's right. And I think the numbers also highlight that point because if I look over the last five years, that their profit has gone from 1300 crores to 2000 crores. Even though the top line has shrunk, even though the share performance has gone nowhere, their profitability still seems to be growing, which is a positive sign. See, Varun, I think let's just set a few terms and a few yeah. um, for, the, for analyzing real estate companies. So don't go by the profits alone. Don't go by the top line also. It's more important to understand what is the uh, quantum of square feet which they're developing just now, how well that is growing. Because eventually the more you develop, the more you sell, the more profits you make. And second important aspect is what are your sales? See, in real estate, you book a sale, but you may not recognize the income immediately. You can recognize it only once you start receiving all the various installments on the sale which you have made and when your project reaches a certain percentage of completion. So there's a lot of volatility in the profits. And as an investor, that makes analyzing these companies very difficult. Okay. But if you just focus on how much square feet is increasing and how much is the pre-sale every quarter, you're fine. Okay, no, that's good. I think that's a really good, uh, really good point to make because then I think for all the remaining companies that we are left to discuss, I think we'll ignore every other metric other than the amount that they've developed. I think it's just going in line with you know what you've mentioned. Okay. So let's move on from DLF and and you know the interesting story that it is um, to another company. Uh, I I want to jump straight to Macrotech or Lotha because you know we started out with Delhi and you know how DLF built Gurgram. Um, I look around where we're sitting in Mumbai, Lodha is everywhere. Lodha exactly. has had a huge hand in building Mumbai. 
that's true i think another company which went through a rise and fall and then now again it has gone into a very good zone is uh, loda and like a lot of real estate players they had a lot of stress of the debt they also did a project in london which was a strain on the balance sheet but they came out very well out of that and again company sitting on huge land bank just at the time you thought that they were going to get crushed by the debt which they had the real estate cycle picked up for them it's like this you know whether you are sitting on property you are sitting on land which was worth say 100 rupees then the real estate cycle came and that 100 became 200 it changed the entire complexion of the company the balance sheet the debt levels and more importantly the volumes increased for them and it's true for all the real estate companies the volume of sales has gone up phenomenally i would say it's compounded by 20% plus in the last 3 4 years or so and that saved the day for these real estate companies macrotech dlf and all the others as well and if i may make one more point to extend over here uh, what we need to focus on is this effect of rera mm-hmm. so rera came into uh, so we'll come to rera at the end cuz i want to spend a little bit of time on that okay fine but if if we want to get to rera let's just do a whistle stop through the rest of the companies okay okay so godrej now we know that dlf is focused on gurugram we know that macrotech is focused on mumbai and pune where is godrej okay godrej is the absolute bluest of blue chip real estate company it's like the gold standard of real estate company it's not the largest company but it never got under stress when the entire industry was suffering they followed a asset light business model from day one very much focused on sales they created a fabulous brand and you know the most important thing about godrej varun the most interesting thing it is pan india it's very rare for a company anywhere in the world any of the major markets to be as geographically diversified as godrej is and you know what that brings to the table diversity de-risk business model so godrej is the preferred partner for a lot of joint development projects and wherever they enter the local uh, you know the local population the buyers for them it's an aspirational product right to live in a godrej house yeah so you could see its valuations have been extremely rich from day one they have the best corporate governance standards in the industry they are the backing of the godrej group so they will never get under financial stress ever and they've been growing phenomenally under uh, the leadership of uh, mr godrej yeah no and i want to make a point just to support what you're saying you know a lot of real estate companies they've gone through ups and downs clf has not really been a value creator others have not been a value creator godrej properties over 14 years has delivered a compounded return of 15.8% much better than the sensex nifty much better than the sensex and the and at a time when the industry was under stress yeah see real estate cycles are very long varun they last for 7 8 years so last down cycle ended perhaps in 2019 or so and the new cycle has started only just prior or during the pandemic and that will last for 7 8 years as well so godrej did well when the cycle was down can you imagine how it will do well when the cycle is up absolutely and i guess that's what justifies this hyper premium valuation absolutely and um, you know they have uh, created a great culture and uh, they have got many companies now kind of uh, you know looking up to them aspiring to be like a godrej So I want to move on from Godrej to another company that's been a fantastic value creator, and from the surface at least looks a lot like Godrej from the numbers. Prestige. 
Just for some context, Prestige has delivered a compounded return of 16.9% to all of its shareholders over the last 13 years. And it seems like they've managed their debt very well. The area being developed is 15 million square feet as well. So perhaps can you give us a bit of a flavor of who is Prestige? What makes them so good or what's the story here? Prestige is Bangalore-based um, real estate company. Very, very savvy promoters, I would say. And they have had a kind of a balanced approach to real estate. Now, Bangalore and southern cities have done very well over the last 15-20 years because of the software boom which took place over there. But Prestige also invested in hotels and office space. So they have got steady rental income as well. And recently, they did a big transaction like DLF where they were able to, you know, uh, divert, uh, separate, separate out, out the, the assets. rental assets and get some capital in. Uh, the company has been focusing on capital allocation, keeping debt under control, and higher and higher sales. And they are a super brand in the in the cities and the markets they operate in. So I would say that real estate business also is a very people driven business. And if you have a strong promoter who has a vision, who understands the sector, who understands the market. They can do very well uh, by terms of strategy, and that's where they've been very good at. So, one thing I want to try and understand now we looked at DLF that was evaluated about 60 times, Loda 60 times, um, I don't remember Godridge exactly, yeah, 70 times, all very richly valued. The prestige is only at 30. Is that the market overlooking something? Is it small? Is there some, what's, what's the story? Why is it so different from its peers? Smaller size localized operation and i would say that you know no specific reason but you know these price to earning multiple are not the best way to value these companies like for example dlf and macrotech they are sitting on huge land banks that also gets reflected in the stock price so when you look at a p multiple it may appear to be optically high but if you take out the land bank then mm -hmm. it is in line with prestige and some of the other real estate development companies. Okay. So P multiple is just not something we should that's right, focus and on. Especially DLF and Macrotech, no, they are sitting on land bank they acquired 15, 20, 30 years ago also. So in their books, it is at zero, almost Nothing. very, very minimal valuation. But right now it is fantastic because they've part of it, they're built on those plots. So automatically the other plots become extremely valuable. So that's the thing. But I think that Prestige is, is a is a good uh, story in the real estate sector like Godrej. And uh, going forward also, they're moving about their operations quite sensibly. Okay, so now we have two companies left to talk about. Do you want to talk about the value creator or the value destroyer first? Anything is fine with me, right. Shoba. Let's, let's do Shoba. Let's do another Southern real estate company, uh, giant value destroyer. Over 17 years, the stock <coughs> price, which was at 996, has gone to 760. So it, it's fallen. Um, what's gone wrong? I mean, is it the same story of overleverage? That's true. But their name to fame was that they constructed Infosys' campuses. Very few people know that, but in, with Infosys' growth, Shobha's growth was linked because every time Infosys did a campus, they did the contract to construct. And then they went on into actual real estate as well themselves. And I think the company has gone through a lot of ups and downs. And to an extent, right now, the real concern of these of these street is on the leverage levels, slightly on the higher side. But again, I think the management is focusing more and more on sales. And I would say that 
in times like this, Novarun, where the sector is booming, I think the smaller companies will give the alpha and Shobha is one such company which can give you the alpha, the outperformance because of its size. And because I think they have changed their strategy to focus more on actual sales and getting higher return on investment, which was perhaps not the case earlier. So if we talk about really smaller companies and how they're delivering alpha. So, I mean, Shobha has delivered 3.96 million square feet. But in a much smaller company that looks healthier on the surface is Oberoi Developers. 1.67 million square feet delivered um, has been a giant value creator over 13 years. They've delivered 11.4% compounded return, which is at least at average. Um, you know, what's the story with Oberoi? Super promoters. It's a lot. It's a very people-driven business. And as I said earlier, if the CEO understands the market, understands what he should do, and more importantly, what he should not do, then that company is going to be a winner. So Oberoi is not into mass production or mass projects. They do niche projects, high value added projects, premium projects. So therefore, their operating profit margins are the highest in the industry. I suspect their return ratios also are fantastic. And whichever project they take up, they do a fabulous job about it in terms of uh, design, in terms of quality, and they attract very good uh, residents over there. Again, they have a small portion, which is a rental business, which gives them steady income. But this is one company which, had, which has always kept its nose clean and never got into a debt problem because they always knew that they would not bite more than they can chew. Well, that's, I think that's a sign of a really good management. It's great management, yes. So let's come to the topic that you know we really want to talk about, how Rera has transformed this industry. Yeah. Could you explain what impact it's had? The biggest impact of Rera is that it has organized the industry better. The formation of Rera and the authorities under it are similar to what was done in the capital market when SEBI came in 1994. It just oh, wow. organized the entire market. A lot of the practices which were there earlier got completely changed and a huge compliance burden was put on the real estate companies. And that compliance burden meant that many of the players who could not, you know, uh, could not take care of those regulations, who could not deliver the projects on time, they were heavily penalized. So over the last four or five years or so, there had been a huge shakeout in the sector. And all the smaller players have been wiped out. I suspect many of them promoters are landed in jail as well because mm -hmm. they had cheated the uh, mm -hmm. public at large. So what is left is all these large companies. Mm -hmm. And they have a great runway for growth because, you know, the demand for housing in India is phenomenal. Yeah. And somebody has to fulfill this demand. And the average buyer of real estate become more discerning. He wants quality. He wants the projects to have all the amenities and facilities. Mm -hmm. He wants to be in a large society. So who has the resources to do a large project? Only, Only the big large. ones. Yeah. That's right. Who are the balance sheet strength? So they're able to get a higher and higher portion of the market share within any, any of the micro markets. And that's what Rera did. Rera has made the big beautiful, has made the big profitable, 
and has made the big more safe from an investor's perspective because of the compliance burden. I mean, the company management may keep on cribbing that they do so much more compliance, but as an outsider, I have the comfort. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about you know our million dollar question. Um, where does real estate stocks fit in an investor's portfolio, and which stocks specifically should they be considering? See, I'll give my own personal opinion, and these are not recommendations. Investors should do their own due diligence. But I personally like Godrej properties, uh, and you could buy it at a decline because it's richly valued, as you know. But you could make Godrej properties as part of your core holding and have a like five, ten-year vision to hold it, because this is company which keep on growing. I think even in a bad cycle. Second company which comes to mind, which is could be an outlier, uh, but it's a high risk, high return, is Shobha Developers. Now I know that last. 10-15 years it has gone nowhere uh, and it has had a lot of uh, stress point in the past. But at this point of time when the real estate cycle is picking up, I think a smaller company with a slightly weaker balance sheet may provide the alpha or the outperformance. Prestige also is a great uh, story to pursue, purely I think because valuation-wise it is attractive. But other than that, Varun, I think if you're holding real estate stocks, I wouldn't sell them. Mm -hmm. And largely, I feel the returns within the sector will be middling. Mm -hmm. I don't think any company will do exceptionally well, or any company will do exceptionally badly in terms of investor returns. Right. So whether you have a macro tech or DLF or Godrej, you can expect that. I would suspect 15 to 25 percent of a compound growth rate over the next three to five years or so. That makes sense. So, given these expectations and given the risks at play here. What sort of allocations in a portfolio should uh, should investors give to real estate companies? 10-15% minimum, I would say. And we are just in the beginning of a cycle. And I think the cycle will last for many more years. So it's a good point to be in. But, but, but most important, I must stress that this is not a sector you should try and evaluate on a quarterly basis. You have to be prepared for a few quarters where there'll be huge knocks, even mm -hmm. negative profitability. Mm -hmm. So don't get shaken out because of that. Mm -hmm. Because the business model is such that depending on when the project is completed, when the sales take place, when the delivery takes place, there's a huge volatility in the earnings because of income recognition norms. Mm -hmm. And mind you, those also have been now completely standardized. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a lot of ups and downs in their profits, but don't get impacted by that. As I said, how much are they selling every quarter? That is important. Is debt under control? That is important. And how much is the total square feet under development? How that is growing? That's those are the three parameters. Yeah. Well, I think it's a really good point that you made that it's a, you know, you should ignore bad quarters, it might be a really good time to get into some of these expensive scripts like Godrej in particular that you mentioned. When a bad quarter. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, that's hopefully some really, really important and useful information for our investors. And uh, I think, let me try and summarize some really key points so that, you know, people have the right takeaway. I think 10 to 15% of the portfolio should be in real estate. Our top picks in the space are Godrej, but, you know, you should also consider companies that might generate alpha like Shobha or Prestige. But it's certainly a sector to watch and something that's a really important sector to have in your portfolio, no matter what. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully you take these, uh, these lessons to heart. 
and were able to do something for your portfolio. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Elixir Equities Private Limited, a savvy registered research analyst. Registration number INA 00004787. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and information purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice. Investment in securities market are subject to market risk. We strongly advise all investors to read all related documents carefully before investing.